0: Let's go into Romans chapter 8. Let's just see what God was going to do. 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. for We know not... What we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Going, Father here, and this the Scripture, and he search, searches the hearts. He that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So God knows what's going on with the Spirit. He knows the mind there, and he's leading us as we pray. We, if this is a season where we need to be praying in the Holy Ghost. We better be doing it, because we're not going to know what to do otherwise. Panic is going to set in. Our emotions are going to guide us. The flesh is going to be in play. So we've got to be led by the holy ghost. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, Agapio, I'm serving God with sacrificial love. That's a condition. And to them who are called. I am called. I'm set apart for a purpose. And I am pursuing that with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. All right, so everything's going to work to my good now if I'm doing that. And then over verse 31, it says this. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, who can be against me? No one dynamic here is praying and praying in the spirit. We need to take these steps. This is not a formula. This is the reality of what we walk in in this season. And this is not the first time that things are happening in the world. Uh, It is in our lifetime, sure. But there have been multiple times these type of things have happened over the course of history. The basis here is having the mind of Christ and knowing his will. I pray in the spirit, according to what this says right here. I know what his will is. And now I begin to, to move into that and everything begins to work in my benefit. If I try to do it in my own flesh, things are not going to happen the way they're supposed to. So now let's look over in 2 Chronicles 20. Hang on, hang on to those thoughts. We just laid in here. We laid a foundation in. Second Chronicles chapter 20, 14. Then upon Jehoshaphat came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. He said, Hearken you all, Judah. Hearken you all, of United States, all you inhabitants of Auburn. Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God. It's God's battle. It's not ours. And then down in verse 20, they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe you in the Lord your God, so shall you be established." This is a season for us to walk in faith and to believe God. He will establish us if we do this. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. So not only are we praying in the Holy Ghost, we're praying according to the will of God, and he's calling everything to work, causing everything to work good for us. We've got to have an ear to hear what the prophets are saying so that we can be directed in the ways that God wants us to move in and to walk. If we do that, then we're going to prosper what God's word teaches us and what he shows us. For I know not the thoughts, or, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and of not of evil to give you an expected end. In Jeremiah 29, further in that scripture, it says call upon me and it says go into action, pray two-way communication between us and God and he says he will hear us, he will hearken to what we're doing. All right, so I'm praying in the spirit, I'm doing it according to his will, He shows me what to do. The prophetic word comes. Now I move into action as he begins to prepare me and shows me what I'm supposed to do. I wait for God to show me the time. I'm the carrier of an understanding that I'm walking in the tension between righteousness and justice because I'm carrying the very presence of God everywhere I go. I'm praying in the spirit. I'm seeking his face. He shows me his will. The prophetic word comes in. There will be a timing when I act on what he says. And then there will be righteousness and there will be justice that will come in. Confrontation, the tension of the cross will come in with what I carry into situations. I will be stirring controversy. I will bring in the darkness light. There will be a stirring in people's hearts. They will be drawn to the Lord because I am the carrier. There will be those that will bow up that will not receive what we carry in. This is the fundamental weaponry of our warfare and the the fundamental way that we will waste this warfare in the days to come. If you abide by what I'm sharing today, if I perish, I perish. This is a shadow we're walking through in this this life anyway. I'm a supernatural being that's having a natural experience right now. I'm eternal in in who I am. That's a given. So what happens here is not that big a deal. All this around us going on is a shadow too real is a spirit realm, it's the heaven, the heavenlies, this eternal. So we, we need to get our thinking, our perspective in order for this. Seek him and, he, and we will find him. That's our responsibility with our whole heart. His responsibility is, he says, I will deliver you, I will gather you, I will bring you into your inheritance. He's always faithful to do that. And then Psalm 55 went over there It talks about the battle. It talks about his faithfulness and how he's going to carry us through it. How he fights the battle himself. He is a whole lot bigger than we are. And he does everything that he says he's going to do. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11. That's our foundation. So let's get into the, the application of this. And maybe a history, a little bit of what's going on. Last time we talked about in, uh, the, the reality that God's people are kingdom changers. In Hebrews 11, verse 33, as we walk in faith, believing that God is going to do what He says, that He is there, and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And all these people in this hall of faith did that. This is what happened. Verse 33, through faith they subdued kingdoms. Through faith, they subdued the Marxists. Through faith, they uh, subdued tyrants. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire and escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. They waxed valiant in the fight and they turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised from the dead. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. You know, it's very significant there. See, so there, there was a way out. The, of this torture where they could have been delivered. And the implication is there in in this particular scripture, but they decided that they could obtain something even better through the resurrection later. So that was the choice that they made in that situation. So, let's look over here to verse 7 and let's look at a time season of how this walked out. By the man called Noah. Noah, by faith, he was warned of God's God of the things not seen. The prophetic came on him. He feared God. He was willing and able to make the stand against the pressures in the culture of that season, and he did it. He stood up. He was a man. Everybody listen to me. Now is the time to stand. It's time for the men to stand up. It's time for real women to stand up, not the way that the feminism the crowd has tried to define who we are over the course of the years. The men of God, the women of God, it's time for us to stand up and no longer tolerate, no longer put up with Jezebel and all of her junk, no longer put up with evil running rampant, evil calling what's good, bad, and bad, good. We don't have to put up with that. That's not who we are. That's not what Noah did. He used wisdom, yes, and did it with the people, but he made the stand because he feared God more than he feared men. He did not walk in pride, he walked in humility. And that's a problem that we've got to deal with in all of us, is our pride. We're known for haughtiness from this nation. Go to another country and see how they treat you because other Americans have gone in and treated people bad. Harriet and I have run into that multiple in times in different countries when we've traveled over the course of the other years. He was moved with fear and then, okay, let's look at this, warned of God, of things not seen as yet. Prophetic word comes. For us, praying in the spirit, worshiping the inhabits and praises of his people, wherever we got to get, however we've got to get to the place to hear him, hear him. Move with fear, then he prepared. Everybody say prepared. Prepared. Everybody say prepared. Uh, this season is a season of preparation, of us getting to the place of setting in the the place everything that we need to walk in the season that we're going into. That's already been prophesied by the prophetic word. We fear God. We're going to do what he said to do. Okay, so now it's time for us to prepare. In this case, this man was called to build an ark for his family. He was called to put the food in there, all the animals that that God was going to send. God gave him specifics on the dimensions of that, that vessel. He showed them exactly what to do. And when it was time, the timing is important here too. Because we, we have to prepare But when the time comes, God will give us some kind of indication of something going on in the natural, which he did this week with that, uh, What no, I'm not going to get into that. Just, there's all kinds of things going on. We need to get the tower up, guys. Whatever we need to do in the next week, two weeks, we need to get that tower in place for communication between our people. Uh, If y'all were not up on what happened in Nashville, you need to look at the news. All right, so he goes ahead, he gets him in there. Now, uh, Noah was believing that God is real. He believed it, And that he was going to reward him for diligently seeking him and being obedient. Do we really believe that? Do I fear a man or do I fear God? Because if I fear God, I'm going to do what he says to do in spite of how stupid it may look and how uh, crazy to everybody else. It doesn't matter. God's telling you to do something, step in there and we need to do it. But again, this is a major move of God. This is a preparation period that you move into. Then there is a time to act and he will show you in the natural. There'll be a reflection there of your timing to begin to jump into it. So he's a rewarder that will diligently seek him. So here we see as we go further here, to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. Okay, you see you have righteousness, salvation. Noah's family is saved because they were walking in righteousness. At the same time, the two never can be separated in the context of God's ways by the which he condemned the world. Justice comes and became heir of righteousness as a result. There were righteous people that were in Egypt Moses was leading a group of people that were God's people. The people that were following Pharaoh were walking in unrighteousness. Justice came. God drew them out of that bondage and took them through the wilderness to the promised land. Pharaoh and his house were hammered. Their birthright was lost. That's the firstborn, by the way. Whatever birthright that generation had, they lost it right there. They lost their animals. And historians historians teach that as Israel moved to the south, uh, instead of running through that main road uh, route that went from uh, Egypt up to uh, Palestine, they went a different route because there was a a group that were called the Amalekites. Y'all may recognize them. They were coming down the east coast. East coast. I, I guess that would actually be the west coast there. We're going down the coast later today, so I'm thinking coast right now. So they were coming down that uh, that coast and they went in and actually attacked Egypt during that time. And whatever Israel didn't carry with them, they ended up routing them and, and uh, plundering Egypt. So they got a triple whammy. When God's judgment comes in, it comes in in a big one. So at any rate, we got off on that, didn't we? All right. Action. Fear God. Preparation. Righteousness. Justice. And also the other side of that would be righteousness, and then uh, we have uh, our inheritance that comes in. Pray, know his will, trust his word, fear him, prepare. Righteousness and justice, then inheritance. Again, pray, 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 pray in the spirit, pray in knowledge, pray. Two-way communication between man and God. This needs to be hammered today because if we don't get this down, this could be life and death in the days to come. Part of the prophetic word on the four winds is we will be passing through different places and we're going to see people that are going to be on the side of the road. I don't know if that's been spoken much. They may be hurt. They may be uh, dead. I don't know. Parts of some visions have been coming forth. But as we walk through the shadow of death, God's going to take care of us. He's going to bring us to the the other side. We see a thousand in our hand, 10,000 in our right hand. It will not come on us. So this is the reality of what we may have to walk through. So pray, know his will. Number three, trust his word. In other words, trust the prophets. Well, Pastor Lane, i married to one of them. Trust the prophets. <laughs> trust them. Now you guys, y'all probably already know already. You've already seen enough of the reality of uh, those prophets that you live with that they have uh, saved you from some problems in the past and kept you out of trouble because they are watching you. back. So fear God more than man. Fifth, number five, would be preparation. And Number six, the tension, righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice is going to be there. And then seventh, expect the inheritance to come. So Pastor Lane, is this ever in the Word? I mean, what are some examples of this? Well, let's look at the first Passover again. There was a prophetic word that came to a man called Moses. He's out in the wilderness, and he sees the burning bush, and he goes over there, and God begins to speak to him. He already knew that before then, he was supposed to release the children of Israel out of that bondage because he tried to do it in the flesh, and it didn't work. That's why he got chased out of the, the country. So now he has that prophetic word. He goes in. It took a season as he hears God's word and begins to walk in obedience for God's timing to come in as he began to prepare the nation of Egypt for what was about to happen in the heart of Pharaoh. And we know the story, the, the place come in, the, the righteous stand in a place of protection in Goshen. We, we need to be in Goshen. If we are not, where, don't know where Goshen is, Pray, ask God, where is Goshen that I'm supposed to be in right now? Where's that place of uh, dwelling under the shadow of the Most High? Where's that supposed to be? And by the way, I was meditating on this while we were, we were worshiping. Now, you, you can get out and there'll be a, just a, a brightness in the sun on a real uh, clear day. And you can't hardly see because the sun will be in your eyes and the reflections there. But then if you back up and you get up under the shadow of a big tree, you're in the shade and now you're able to look out because that brightness is not as severe on you. You're able to actually discern what's there. That's the same thing. When we get so close to God, when He's abiding in us and we're abiding in Him, we're able to see things we would miss otherwise. So we know the story that, that uh, God goes ahead and gives them the word, tells them the timing to come out. God blesses them financially, and they come on out and they enter into the inheritance, as we know, down the road, 40 years later, because of disobedience. would have been quick if they'd been obedient, but they were disobedient. Another situation. The prophetic word, they go to a place where God speaks to them after they leave from over in in, uh, wherever it was in Cairo or wherever the the capital was at that time. I don't think that's right, that season. But whatever it was, they left. God tells them to go a different route and go down there by the Red Sea and pitch their camp. He was setting them up to be destroyed by Pharaoh's army, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. He told them what to do. They went there, they look up, and here comes that army after them. See, God was not through with a judgment. He was not through with the righteousness either. So he tells them exactly what to do. He tells them, okay, tell the people to step out in the water. You go ahead and look at it in the Hebrew. You'll see this is what he says. And then Moses, I want you to go ahead. Uh, you know, who would have volunteered to step out in that water to go across the sea when the water hadn't moved yet? All right, so that, there's a point here in that we need to walk in the faith as God speaks to us to do these things. Because either I fear men or I fear God. When I use the faith aspect of what God's put in me, I walk into it, and then at that place, at that point, he meets me and does what he said he's going to do. So here we are, it's similar to the the priests carrying the ark on their shoulders, and they step out into the water in the Jordan. That's what had to happen here. He said, Moses raised that staff up. And we know Charlton Heston's way he did it was really cool, right? And then there was another one we saw that came out here recently when the water went up. I mean, it was really cool know how that worked. God's special effects are real effects. They're a whole lot better than anything Hollywood does. So this whole thing just opens up and they go right on the cross and then we know behind it comes the judgment, righteousness and judgment. But the prophetic word had to be there. God spoke to Moses, go here, camp here. Then he gave them the, the, the way to go about doing it and prepared them to go across. Again, the pattern is, is very similar to the same. In Joshua, the battle with the Amorites, the sun stands see, uh, still during the day and great stones fall from the sky as they are, are uh, taking on five kings who've gone in to, to attack Gibeon. The miracle deliverance of God comes in at a place and a time. And you go back and look at the story there. It's in uh, Joshua 10, 12 through 14. Then in 1 Samuel 7, uh, the... Offering is being made by Samuel and the Philistine army is coming in to attack them and there's a great thunder that takes place. And what happens, the, the Philistines begin to be routed and they turn on each other and they retreat because the sound of thunder sets them in a place of fear and they begin to run out of the land. Great th- but offering was being put in at the same time. Second Chronicles 20, the worshipers go to battle before the army. A prophetic word from God. Division and strife falls on the army that's attacking the nation. And they're scattered. They turn on each other and destroy each other. The three different armies that were there set in the context. And then when they turned on each other, it was over with. Second Chronicles 32. Uh, the angel of the Lord is sent in and he cuts off. That's what it says here in that particular scripture. The army that had encircled the city. What that means is one angel went around and killed 185,000 of the top troops of that nation just like that, one night. Is my God big enough to handle the deep stake in this nation? Is he big enough to handle the marches? Is he big enough to handle whatever, and you, know, you start thinking this stuff in your life, the trivial things in comparison? We're talking about the creator, king of kings, lord of lords, he is more powerful than we can even conceive of, even think of. Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 6. He's, gone, he's on a, a, a trip, he's traveling with his, his uh, servant. They go to the city. He'd been having the prophetic word come in his spirit, and he took uh, that word to the king and said, That Syria is about to attack you. Do not go to this place today. Sure enough, he didn't go there, and the Syrians went there. Do not go to Opelika tomorrow, downtown, they're going to be there. Sure enough, they showed up there, and, and king was not able to do it. Over and over and over, he did this. Prophetic word came, and safety is of the Lord when we hear his word. Here's an example of it. Do not go to through Montgomery to go to the beach today. Do not go through Oklahoma to get there. Whatever the word is, go the way God tells you to go. So, Syria, the king, that's who he was telling was coming. He thought somebody in his house that was, uh, that was there that is in his council was telling him, actually, maybe a double agent, and spilling the beans and telling the uh, Israelites what they were going to do. He didn't know. And one of his guys said, yeah, this, this is not that. This is that prophet. He's the one doing that. You know how those prophets, they're bad news. They're bad news, aren't they? Oh, some of y'all are at home right now today, too. They're bad news. But the reality is, we heed what the prophets say, we will prosper. Did we just read that a minute ago? Okay. I believe it's true. It's in the Word. So, this is the thing. Syrian king sends his army in. They surround the city. And it's called Dothan. So maybe we shouldn't go through Dothan today to get down to, to uh, Sandestin, use some wisdom there. Y'all don't hear God on it. The servant for Elisha gets up. He walks out through the gate because they're about to continue the journey. He looks around. This whole city is totally encompassed with this huge army. Master, we're we're, we're about to be nuked. What are we going to do? Elisha walks out and he looks around and says, "This, this is no big deal, son. And he says, God, open up his eyes. God, open up our eyes that we can see with your eyes and actually see what's actually going on here. From panic, God gives him a vision and he begins to see around the man of God, an army. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've got some armies around me. I'm going to tell you these prophets have some armies around them. I'm going to tell you these other elders in this house have some armies around them too. Well, I've seen the results of those armies in, in action on more than one occasion. And if you've got eyes to see in here, you're going to be able to see what, what God's doing and understand the reality of what I'm talking about. There are signments of hell against us. There are assignments of heaven for us. It goes both sides. We don't want to just take one side without the other. Remember, righteous judgment comes in. So he begins to judgment come in, and then the inheritance comes, which in that case was the peace and, and the, the, the borders. And there are other stories. I mean, we could go on over and over and over here. The prophetic picture in the church today is painted in the book of Esther. So let's go to Esther chapter one. Verse one. Some symbolism here. Number one, the king is the Lord himself. Vashti, his queen, it's beautiful best, that which drinks. There's uh, a good picture of Jezebel. Uh, she made up a, a, and put together a feast in opposition to the feast of the king. If you go back and you look in, in the story about Jezebel, at Baal, in Baal worship at Mount Carmel, she was feeding all the prophets of Baal and Asherah at her banqueting table herself. So there's a good reflection here of that. Esther uh, in the Persian means star. If you go go back and look at the word, you'll see that that's a reflection of the star children uh, that were prophesied that were going to be the descendants of Abraham, those that would be spiritual. You had the sand, which would be the earth children, the the physical Israel. So you've got spiritual and physical Israel on both camps there. So this is a picture of who we are, the New Testament church. But her name in the Hebrew was Adassa, which means Myrtle. Myrtle is a symbol of the church. So now you've got Jezebel. Now you've got the church being in confrontation with each other. Banquets being set up that would be of hell. Uh, the false prophet, uh, false apostle anointing on Jezebel. And we're in direct confrontation in, in direct opposition to this. Haman, the enemy that comes in to try to destroy all the Jews in this story. He is the accuser himself, a multitude of noise, the accuser. His wife, if you look at the name, her name in the Hebrew, it means a worshiper of chaos and violence. All this lines up with our culture today, doesn't it? It's pretty profound when you really think about it and just back up and say, you know, I couldn't make this up. I wish Fran was here today. I'd get her to say that. You just can't make this kind of stuff up. Mordecai. Uh, the hero, actually means little man. Mordecai means little man. There's a reflection there that it doesn't take a, a, a big man in the eyes of the world to do anything and accomplish anything in God's eyes and his ways. We make ourselves insignificant. We decrease, he increases. And that's a good picture here because the other meaning for his name is, is warrior. Is warrior. A little man and warrior, so that's Mordecai. And then Hatak is another guy. He's a runner. who brings in uh, the little means runner. And he also means messenger, and it means somebody that's truthful. So let's keep these mean this uh, interpretations in mind of what in these symbols as we go through the story. And I'm going to say this too that in, for whatever you want your belief system is. I'm not saying this in disrespect to Ginsburg when she passed away because uh, she was one of the, the uh, justices in the Supreme Court for many years. And apparently she had a lot of people that respected what she did, but she had a lot, of, a lot of blood on her hands too. with The stand that she took with abortion and a lot of innocent lives that were lost there. Consider, the day that she died was on what, Rosh Hashanah, wasn't it? The beginning of the new year. That marked the beginning of a new season for the church as she went down because she was a vashti in comparison. We got Amy Barrett that was put in her place, and we know that she's a woman of God, fierce God. so this this word today is this season that we're in. and be aware of that that this is, we've got a, a time marker there that, and again, I'm saying this in respect to who the woman was, but I do not under, uh, agree with what she believed in at all and what she uh, purported. So, let's get here in the story, in the book of Esther. King calls all of his leaders from all over the nation. They come in. He sets a banquet up at his banqueting table for them. They begin to have a feast. And over the course of time, they're, they're, they are, in this case, we see the, the flesh part of it, the drinking and everything going on there. But in the spirit, and, and using the symbolism here, there, there is a calling from the king for his queen, for his bride, to come in to the banqueting table. But says bride, Vashti, she's got her own thing going on. She's over there doing her Jezebel thing and does not come in. But what's interesting, he says to her, I want you to come and I want you to have the crown on and I want you to present you before everybody else here. And just in your glory, y'all know the way I word that, just with a crown on, just in your glory, and you walk in here and show that you've got the crown that I have given you as my queen. And the glory of God is on you as you walk holy and righteous before me. And you'll notice if you go back in the the garden in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, they didn't have uh, anything but the glory of God that they were clothed in, you see. She couldn't do this because everything she was doing, and everything she was standing for was dealing with stealing, killing, and destroying. She was doing her own thing. There was witchcraft that was going on. There was lording over men the Vashti type spirit, the Jezebel spirit, and all the death that comes with that. So we know that uh, immediately she fell in, in uh, disgrace. Uh, he called together the wise men. They told him, you need to go ahead and move her out and replace her because if you do not do this, it comes from the top down. There will be women that will rebel against their husbands in the homes. The families will be set asunder because of that spirit being on us. This, this blight needs to be removed. It does not need to be in your court at all. So he, he went, I said, you know, okay, I agree with that. So he went ahead and, and they uh, went ahead and called out to all the, the young ladies in the kingdom. They all came in, and we know in uh, verse 7 that they brought up Hadassah, that is Esther. This is in chapter 2. His uncle's daughter, talking about Mordecai. She was fair. She was beautiful. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter years before then and raised her up. She was his uncle, or he was her uncle. Uh, Okay, so going on further here in the story. Let's stop right here for just a minute. I I don't want to get beyond this because this is very, very important. How many people did we know of? I don't know if we'll get beyond this right here. We'll see today. That were serious about their relationship with God. They were strong. We looked at them as, as somebody that maybe we edified and tried to be like. And over a period of time, something happened in them, and they shifted from being a very strong man or woman of God. They took on a mantle of a Jezebel, and began to manifest, and we know all the, the, the drama, the backbiting, the lies, the eggs that are, that are laid, that are all dealing with offense, primarily. How I many have we ever seen that before? I know a lot of us have seen that, right? Well, perhaps Vashti started out right, but then at some point, something changed in her life. What was it? What, what, what is it going to take, and what has it taken? That might be even a better way to look at it of the people that we know of that have served God that have backslid that we never thought would backslide. What was going on there? What is it? But well, there are only two reasons why a man or woman won't serve God. And number one would be sin, and number two would be pride. If you look at the, in the natural, the way this is done, in this story in chapter one, it was a pride thing. She didn't go in there because of what the king was telling her to do. And she was too prideful to do it. So there are only two reasons a man or woman won't serve God it would be sin and pride. There are only two reasons that a man comes to God and that's to get something, salvation, or maybe to attain something, something along that line. There are only two reasons why believers backslide. Two reasons believers back, back, will backslide. Number one is going to be fear of man. Number two will be pride. Now, that's the second time that pride has popped up in this, did not it? So the two reasons a person will not serve God will be pride, and it's the reason that a person that is serving God will backslide. So if something happens, I get offended, that offense, I begin to dwell on it, I begin to walk in it, I get to a place where I'm not able to function any longer and do what I need to do because that consumes me, and I begin to pursue that and it becomes the, the defining factor in my life. But, there are two reasons why backsliders will return. Remember that the backsliding takes place because of fear of men, number one, and the pride coming in. Two, the two reasons for a backslider coming back will be fearing God. Getting back to that place where I've already feared men enough and it's cost me too much, I'm, I'm ready to move on, and then God, I ask you to forgive me from pride. There we go. Now the, problem, the issue here is in Romans we're bought with a price. Every one of us is bought with a price. We're not our own. The God has called us into his embrace. He's been moved on us. He's the one that draws. He's paid the price for me. And the revelation has to come that I'm serving him willingly even when I'm not even happy. And there'll be times God is going to put you at places that you're not going to be happy if you get this revelation. Because when you get to a place where you don't like the way things are going on, that's usually going to be the place you're going to get offended because there's something you don't like about how it's, it's all playing out, whether it's in relationships, in our church, where you're working. But if you're called and the price has been paid for you and you're serving God willingly, it doesn't matter. You can do it and you can still maintain your joy when those situations when they come up. Why are churches and pastors replaced? Think about this. Sin, greed, and pride primarily. Churches fail for that. Now, Personally, am I a Vashti or am I an Esther? Which one am I? Because we've got a choice here all walk in. Is this a Vashti church or is this an Esther church? Because it's going to be made up of individuals to become the whole, right? When I rebel against God, it's going to be through pride and our ungodliness will hurt other people. There will be a transfer of God's glory. It's going to come off of me and it's going to go on somebody else and the anointing comes off of us as a result. Now, and this is just a picture of what we're dealing with here, and this is something I ran across this morning that I feel like is just right now for today. We'll go no further than this today. That'd be fine. We're gonna accomplish what God wants. In Luke 17, let's go over there. This is not on that list that you got back there, guys. Luke 17. Luke 17, verse 1. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast in the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Then he says this Take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourself. This is the Walmart Blue Light Special. Going off, ladies and gentlemen. If you go to the lingerie department, ladies' hosiery is now going to be marked off for the next ten minutes. It'll be fifty percent off. Uh, everybody in the store hears that. So this is everybody in the store with a blue light going on right now. I used to work for uh, Kmart. I said Walmart dinner. I used to, yeah. So I had to do that back in the day. That's one of, the, anyway. That's another season of my life. Take heed to yourselves. That your brother, if he trespasses against you, don't rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. If he trespasses against you uh, seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said this unto him I don't know if we could do this. Jesus, increase our faith. I, I don't know if I can forgive somebody for doing the same stupid stuff seven times in a day, every day. I don't know if I can do that. You know, this is just being real. Can we do that? So, that my, my sister goes in, she goes in my room, she gets in my stuff, she repents, she does the same thing just as soon as I turn around and repents again. Am I going to choke my sister? How many of us have wanted to choke our sisters before? Say amen. Our brothers, yeah, because we, we know this. That's how it works. We all are geared the same way, we got the same makeup in us. I think Jesus says this. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you know, we're talking about if we don't handle this, we're going to lose everything. Understand, this is that important. This is that weightiness of a man or woman being obedient to God and entering into the inheritance God has for them or not. This is a litmus test all of us have to pass. This is something we've got to grab a hold of and walk in. And Jesus presents it this way. If you have faith, as a grain of mustard seed, which is the smallest seed of any plant in your planted in the garden. We know that story. But yet it grows over time to become the largest plant that's going to be out there, the largest tree. All right, well, it doesn't end right there, but look at this. It says, you might say to the sycamine tree, another tree, a false tree, a false planting in us of a seed of a tear." It doesn't have any business being inside of us because the fruit it's going to bear is going to be destruction in us and the symbolism between these. See, Jesus is standing right there. He says, This. He says, You might say unto this sycamine tree. Often in these stories, Jesus was standing outside with his men and he would walk up to, to a, a, an area where there would be plantings or there would be a tree in this case. Maybe he was sitting up under it and he points to it. He says, It's like this tree right here, guys. This is how you've got to be careful of this. This is the, the way you seeing. He's opening your eyes to see it now. Here's the prophetic word coming. You've got to act on this. Righteousness and judgment are going to be on the other end of it. Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. Grace to that mountain. Pluck it up by the roots, and cast it into the sea. Well, that sounds... That's good terminology and, and reflection, but what does it really mean? That sycamine tree is a tree that grew and grows still. They have come over in the Middle East now. to about 30 feet tall. It's very fast growing. When we get offended, is it not very fast growing? This particular tree has roots that sink down at least 30 feet into the ground, which is highly unusual in that area especially. So that that particular root system will reach down and get into water that'll be very, very deep into the ground. Very similar to what happens in us when we get an offense in our heart, you see. And we get this this thing in here, and and what will happen, and it'll come back up over and over and over, and we'll think back on it, and we'll draw from it. It's like drawing water. In this case, it's drawing poison, because this is not going to be of the kingdom of God. It's going to be the kingdom of hell when it comes forth. It's bitterness. We must deal with the unseen roots to kill it down deep, the hidden source, because that causes the offense to resurface over and over if we don't deal with it. The wood of the sycamine tree is used for casket building. Can't make that up, can you? Let's build our death using this tree right here of offense because it will kill us. It flourishes in hot and dry climates, a spiritual wilderness. Generally, that's what happens when we get hurt and offended. We go immediately into a wilderness experience. and It gets dry. Instead of being able to experience the presence of God, it'll be so overwhelming. In this manifestation, now we're not able to quite enter in like we were, and maybe we think, "Oh, you know, I'll get back into this." But over time, you just lose that fervency because of something else that comes in. You see, if I don't have any joy and walk in repentance, there will be no fresh rain on my spirit. I mean, that's what it comes from, repenting and walking in joy. And this is another aspect of this I thought was very interesting. The fruit of the sycamine tree is extremely bitter, very, very tart. Now, there's another tree called the mulberry tree in that area, and the fruits look just exactly identical. That particular tree is not as common, and the fruit on that's apparently pretty expensive. It was back in that day for sure. But the the rich primarily would eat it, and it was a very good fruit to eat off that mulberry tree. The sycamine, that fruit was extremely prevalent. There's a lot of it. It still was nutritionally good, but when you would eat it, a person would have to just get one little nibble of it, and that's all they could tolerate. And they would begin to eat on it and set it to the side. And when they could get their, their taste buds ready to take on some more, they'd go back and they'd pick it back up and they'd eat it again. And they'd set it down, and they'd go do something else, and they'd come back and pick it up and eat it again. Y'all seen the picture here? I can't believe she said that to me. I can't believe that she, the result of that, I can't believe she did that. I can't believe that particular affront would ever come in my life from that person. Now, how many of us do this? Don't raise your hands because everybody here, I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot because everybody does this. We go back and we relive those offenses. We go back and relive those, those things that happened that we took on and allowed to come in here. This is when bitterness begins to take on a root within us. And there's, there's definite death that flows forth from this. That person, number one, I will never be able to treat them the way God wants me to treat them. Plus, there's going to be projection that if she did it, then she did it, and she did it, and and all these women, they all ate Adam out of house and home. We all know that, right? Guys, come on. I know it's a bad joke. I've used it before, but that's the, still what we will do with it, right? Constantly thinking of of, uh, everything wrong ever done to them. Defeated, depressed, sick, financially poor. If you're dealing with your finances and they're not right, you're not prospering, you very well could be dealing with bitterness. You're Sick all the time, bitterness. Depressed, bitterness. Defeated, bitterness. You need to go back and deal with whatever the root of this is. There's one other thing here that we need to touch on. And that is the fruit, the way the, uh, the plant was pollinated and is pollinated, was not by butterflies or moss, not by honeybees, it's was by wasp, wasp. The only way they could get to the fruit to pollinate it would be to, to bring their stinger in and hit that fruit and pierce it. Then they could, could go ahead and, and the germination process would take place. Now isn't that a picture of how we are stung? I can't believe he said that. He stung me again with his words. You see? So again, all this, the, the picture here, this is what Jesus was teaching his men. Don't be a vashta. Don't walk with this type of bitterness and allow it to spew over. Don't allow it to, to affect all the other people that are following you because it's a poison that will filter from the top down. You can't do that. You've got to walk in a place of forgiveness. Now how do we walk through this? How to get rid of it? Number one, we make a decision to forgive. It's not based on feelings. This is based on a decision. A decision. Bashta never had the opportunity to do this. Or if she did, she just rejected it. Renounce it. God, I renounce. I no longer will, will walk in bitterness. I no longer will walk in offense. It must come out of my mouth. When we deal with demonic. We command. We decree. We, get a, we, we take offense when we do that. Not allow them to just pound us. and keep us in bondage. Commands are important in the name of Jesus. And then number three is command. I renounce and I command. I, I uh, bind up this unforgiveness in the name of Jesus and the bitter spirit, which is a demonic entity, by the way. He just piggybacks on you and sucks the life out of you. And then I have to hold my thoughts captive. So no longer do I allow those thoughts to come on me. And when I have that opportunity, I'm walking through life and I see that bitter fruit there and I get over here, I'm not going to come back and pick that back up. I had the thoughts come in, and I'm renewing my mind that she's in the image of God. She's made special. She's been brought here as a blessing, not as a curse. That man I work with, you know, go ahead and hold the thoughts captive and look at them as a child of God, somebody that God loves himself. In Esther chapter 2, 15 through 18, Esther's called in the king's house. She goes through preparation. Let's get back on this. We're going to end it right here. She goes in through preparation that Vashti never went through. She goes, well, maybe she did and just backslid. That's a possibility. I guess they did this with the queens. But she was treated with myrrh for six months and other aromatic type treatments in her body and bathed in that daily over the course of a period of time preparation. A picture of holiness, of repentance, of walking in purity, of renewing her mind, you see. And then she's brought into the king's house, just as we are. He takes her. He's well pleased with her. He says he loves her. This is all there in chapter 2. He takes a crown and puts on her head and makes her his queen, his bride. Vashti, Bitterness and offense or being the queen, the bride of Christ. My choice. Which way am I going to deal with this? We'll finish up the rest of this next time because we don't want to get away from these principles of walking in victory in this season because it's critical. But the, the key here is we will not go any further in this, this de- endeavor. We will not be able to prosper in this season if we're allowing offense and bitterness to lose. Remember justice and righteousness. I don't want to be on the justice side. I don't want to get seed there where I've sown so much. I'm going to reap that. But I can repent, and renounce, it and command it to go, begin to renew my mind, and walk this on out. Amen. Does this make any sense? All right. I'm going to ask uh, Lauren, if you will, to come back up here.